You live in a boring suburban cul-de-sac. What if your new neighbors were kind of weird? So weird that you were pretty sure they were in a satanic cult murderers. Starring young Tom Hanks, a young Carrie Fisher, and Corey Feldman in possibly his greatest role. From 1989, it's Joe Dante's criminally underrated cult comedy, The Burbs. Ooh, okay. Burbs with two Bs. There, he's going into the hut. You're going to lose him because he's he's going to go in. Well, there, now you've blown it, haven't you? No, I didn't blow it. He went went into his house. Chicken? I'm not chicken because he went into his house. Well, he went into his house. You know, you look like a chicken in front of your son and everything. Your son. All right, hello. Welcome back to K Have You Seen This? My name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And today we're going to be talking about another 80s comedy, similar in tone perhaps, in that it deals with murder. Uh, This is The Burbs from 1989 with a very young Tom Hanks in the lead. Kari, I gotta ask, just tell me the unvarnished truth. What did you think about this movie? What did I think about this? Um, tonally, very weird. It's mm-hmm. an it's an odd movie. Yeah, I I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of things I want to talk about, and hear your perspective on. Really, I'm so curious. What what is this movie to you? <laughs> I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. Uh, I feel like I was probably in high school, and it just was. It was just at the right time for something that was kind of subversive, like this movie is. Mm-hmm. It is a very subversive black comedy, sort of masquerading as a normal goofball 80s comedy. Would you mm-hmm. agree with that? Sure. Yeah, I, I can see that. Subversive in what way? In the sense that it deals with some pretty twisted uh, things that it hints at, whether they actually happen or not. Which, okay, let's we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in the conversation here, but for those who have not seen it... The general plot of this movie is that Tom Hanks is a guy that lives on this cul-de-sac with his family in the suburbs. And he's got sort of quirky neighbors. Um, The guy that lives across the street is like a Vietnam vet. And he's got the obnoxious fat guy neighbor, which seems to be a character that appears in every 80s movie. He's Um, the Kimmy Gibbler of the neighborhood. Yeah, pretty much. That's a good way to put it. Um, And their new next-door neighbors, Tom Hanks' new next-door neighbors, are the Klopex, who nobody ever sees. They only seem to come out at night. And long story short, uh, they hatch this idea that the Klopex are satanic cult murderers. So it's, as the writer of the film put it, Ozzy and Harriet meets the Manson family. Um, which I thought was a terrific way to put it, honestly. <laughs> and the whole, the whole subtext of the movie is about the, uh, the weird stuff that happens under the surface in these seemingly normal white picket fence suburbs. So I personally find myself drawn to it in large part because of Tom Hanks' character. Mm. Ray Peterson is such a... He's not necessarily the best person in a lot of ways, but he is... He seems enjoyable to watch. He seems like he would be the most normal person on this street, but he is driven to the edge of sanity by his... Mostly by his neighbors. Yeah, it, he is definitely the most normal out of that whole crew, but at the same time is totally still pretty abnormal. As his wife points out, I feel like more than anyone else. But For sure. like, she may be the normalest one on this whole block. Oh, it's Carrie Fisher. Which and it's Carrie Fisher. Is terrific. Uh, you know, she's she's so good as Ray's wife, but unfortunately, the extent of the role doesn't go much beyond just Ray's wife, which is unfortunate because, as we all know. Carrie Fisher is the best, and so when she doesn't get enough room to stretch out, it's a real it's a real crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does great with what she has. Yeah. The funny thing about this, with Carrie Fisher, I never put her and Tom Hanks on the same timeline. Like, no. they just don't exist in the same universe to me, so to have them together in a movie, I will say I thought their chemistry was kind of lacking. Like, I really yeah. wanted more between the two of them, because they're both just treasures but it's just there's not a lot of i i really thought maybe the movie would end in their divorce because they really (laughs) were not feeling each other that would have been kind of an amazing ending honestly i felt like we were leading towards it but i mean no spoilers but it it does not happen sure so definitely anytime you get to see a young tom hanks it's almost like digging up an early picasso that nobody's seen before you know if, if you've seen him if you see a movie with tom hanks as a younger man 
that you didn't even know existed. It's like that masterpiece that, you know, you just get to wallow in his performance because one thing that I am reminded of every time I watch this movie and anytime I see an early Tom Hanks performance is how great his comic timing and delivery and his physical comedy is. Oh, the physical comedy really comes through in this movie. Like, there is so much... Fall. At one point, I think he, like, slides down the front steps, just <laughs> yes. very, like, on his heels, and it is hilarious to watch. He's so physical, and, and he just doesn't get to do that in movies currently. Or he doesn't get to, or he doesn't want to, or a yeah. combination of both. I'm not really sure, but it's a real shame, because back in the 80s especially, he was such a great physical comedian. And to your point, around the same time where he does that weird shuffle down the stairs... That cracks me up every time I see it because I always forget that it happens. But then around that same time is when he, he gets himself on the gurney and then he gets off, picks up the gurney and throws in the back of the ambulance and climbs in. That was apparently improvised. That was, oh, that was, that was unscripted. Hilarious. Um, There's which, a lot of good physical comedy in this. There the, is. Other characters get it as well. There's just the three guys, once they really get into their chemistry, the Vietnam vet, the kind of, you know, just unwanted neighbor sure. guy, best friend, and then Ray. It's they're hilarious. So the main players are Tom Hanks as Ray Peterson, Bruce Dern as uh, Vietnam vet um, Rumsfeld. Um, I can never pronounce the name of the actor who plays Art, um, the guy who wears like a van slip-ons all the time, which I thought mm -hmm. was kind of hilarious, which we should talk about his outfits later on as well, because he had some wild ones. And then, um, uh, of course, you can't forget Corey Feldman as oh, Ricky, God. the kid that lives next door. That kid is a meatball. <laughs> that kid's a meatball, you know that? Yeah. The kid next door is a meatball. He had some great lines for only oh, having about ten minutes hilarious. of screen time. Um, which I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on the, on that because you touched on the chemistry between these neighbors. I personally love the idea of you've got Ray, who's sort of like supposed to be your everyman identifiable character. You've got the obnoxious but still sort of normal neighbor. You got the old man that lives down the street that nobody really talks to. He just lets his dog poop on people's lawns. Mm -hmm. You got the crazy ex like retired military guy. And then you got this kid who just hangs out and drinks beer with all these guys. I wanted to get your, your it's very much a boys club for sure that they sure. got on the street. But I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the way that chemistry between these neighbors was portrayed. Well, for Corey Feldman's character for speci specifically, I didn't know who he was. For, I was like, who is this kid? I thought maybe he was Art's son for a minute because there's like the <laughs> time when they're like drinking beer on the porch. And I was like, is that his kid? But then he starts calling him Mr. Whatever Art's last yeah, name is. Yeah. And it's... It's a funny, it's a funny group. I wanted a little bit more. I think, so the first scene where you're kind of getting introduced to all these different people and all the different neighbors kind of as they're going mm -hmm. about their like morning business, the best version of that for me is Mary Poppins, uh. where you see kind of all the characters. And so I wanted a little bit more diversity amongst them, I think. They were all kind yeah, of... Yeah, there's no black people in this movie. Oh, there's definitely not, but... Oh, is that not the kind of diversity <laughs> you meant? Because Not specifically, oh. but just there was... I felt like they were a little bit too similar across hmm. the board. Interesting, but... because they definitely all seem very distinct to me, uh, uh. personality-wise, at least. Um, which, by the way, I, I was also reminded watching this movie how much I am beginning to resemble... Tom Hanks in his in his uh, uh, when he actually gets dressed and gets out of his bathroom and like puts regular clothes on that rolled up sleeve Oxford shirt with super shorty shorts and white sneakers is pretty much what I wear every day in the summertime. I thought his outfits were great in this movie. I don't know why, I but I thought they were great. So were. I yeah, kudos to you. You're clearly <laughs> nailing it. Um, but yeah, the uh, the. The dynamic between the different characters, I thought, was one of the strongest parts of the movie, especially mm -hmm. the way they all seem to kind of annoy each other, but they act... The I, I personally think this is kind of a joke, and this goes back to the subversive thing that I was talking about earlier. I think this is an intentional joke that all of these adult men have the dynamic of children in a neighborhood. Oh, it definitely is. Because there's the scene where they're asking Carrie Fisher, like, can Ray come out, please? Yes! And she's like, no, no, he needs his rest. Like, he has he to is, stay in his room. He has to stay in his room. And they're like, but please. And like, yeah. it's literally, and he, even, and he yeah. even kicks the rock. <laughs> he does the little like foot scuffle. And that was one of my favorite scenes. Just that like two minutes of them like, Terrific. come on. So cute. Especially Bruce Stern's character because he doesn't, 
I, I totally didn't see him at the beginning becoming that really juvenile, right. yeah. being totally in on it. He seemed like... He always seems very yeah. in charge until something like that happens, and he's like, oh, come on! Yeah, yeah that's... I totally... He's, it was a good surprise. He's very much like a kid playing dress-up. Like, you can very easily transpose this story as adults in a situation the same as Stranger Things. Sure, yeah, you know, yeah. Or, except it, it's it's sort of like one of the Stephen King stories that has a bunch of kids, like, you know, Stand By Me or It or whatever, except they're adults and not children, and so the actual danger seems very mundane in comparison. Yeah, totally. That's It totally is. It's any of those just aged up. Like, For sure. These are all adult men, which... What? Okay, so Tom Hanks, they've established several times over. He is off of work for this week. This is his vacation yeah. week. He has taken his personal time off. What are the other people doing? So I, I get uh, Bruce Dern is just He's old. retired. He's I think retired. he's retired. Yeah. He's retired military. What about Art? Art? What does he do? <laughs> Who knows? And his wife is gone the whole movie until the end where they're like, Art, your wife is back. And My he's like, wife is back! Which is like the... <laughs> yeah. Easily my least favorite part of this whole movie. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Where was your wife and why? Oh, she was uh, she was visiting her mother and he didn't oh. want to go because can you imagine a week with those two? Nah, 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 nah. Right. That was right, right, before, right that was right. while At he was digging beginning. through Ray's refrigerator and like getting like the ribs and shit like that yep. at breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, that was a great scene at the at the beginning when he comes, he invites himself in for breakfast and like takes all the food out of the refrigerator and he's eating like, face-to-face -face with Art's kid. I had that down, That was too. hilarious that to me. That scene was amazing. Because it's that trope of, like, someone, like, telling you something. I don't... It's this, like, a horror movie thing. Why have I seen this scene so many times? But, like, where someone's eating something and they just kind of chew in your face yeah. as they tell you something really intense. But he and the kid are doing it to each, to other. each other. So they're yeah. both just, like, chewing, and you have this two-shot of them just face-to-face -face in profile, just like... Mwah, mwah, yeah, it's, like, it's terrific. And oh, I, I don't know what scenes had a lot of improv and what scenes did not, other than that one with the gurney. But one thing I do know, and I realized, I found this out when I was doing my extensive uh, show prep research long before we recorded this episode, like way, way, way before we recorded this episode, definitely not five minutes before. Yeah, probably months. Uh, months, talking, months in yeah. advance. I was planning this podcast before we even spoke to each other about it. Mm -hmm. But um, apparently this was shot during a writer's strike in 1988. And so they had, they were skirting the line of scabbiness by having the writer on set as an actor, but by union rules, he couldn't actually give any feedback. So they, that's part of the reason why they had so much improv, things that were just kind of unscripted was because they were in a writer's strike at the time, which I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, like for example, the scene with uh, Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher playing Jeopardy, that was apparently their idea to like have that be something they were just doing in the living room was playing along with Jeopardy. I thought oh that was, yeah, that I was, thought that was interesting. That was the best that was the best marriage moment they had. Without I was like, a doubt. okay, great. They still have something in common. Yeah. There's still a spark there until he runs off with art and they go, you know, and, try to dig up some bodies. And it's it, you now that you bring that up, it it does definitely seem like it this movie plays into that trope of like the henpecked husband and the nagging wife. But at the same time, we are seeing them at a very specific point. And when I back up, I can definitely understand why that would kind of lead them to be in that state with each other, in that, in that kind of state of their relationship with each other, which there's not a whole lot of context to that. That's mostly headcanon, but it does really seem like this is just an unusual circumstance that is kind of leading uh, Carrie Fisher to be like, hey, what, what's the deal, man? You, you, you're not relaxing. Like, you took time off to relax. And Tom Hanks being frustrated, etc. So I don't know. That might be a stretch, but no. I I'm mean, they by definitely it. hint at some backstory to that. Like she is on him really quickly about like you're just like watching the neighbors. Like all you're doing yeah. is just getting paranoid and freaked out about the neighbors. And so you think that he's probably some sort of busybody or something in real life. It doesn't take, you know, full on apparent murderers yeah. to, to get him to that level. Yeah. That very, that part of the beginning where he's just chuckling to himself is like Walter's, Walter's dog crapped on Ron Blonde again. And she's just like, great. Yeah. Which I actually, oh. I think that's kind of an interesting reversal because a lot of times, um, I would say in fiction and in real life, there's like the busybody in the neighborhood is an old woman. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that for sure, 100%. My mom is that person in her neighborhood <laughs> where she, anytime I stay back at home, she always says, 
you know, Charles across the street just got a new truck, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. I was like, yeah, great. Hey, that I might be like 50% care. of our listeners you're insulting right now, so <laughs> my mom, what you say. My mom doesn't even know what a podcast is. That's a fact, <laughs> because she asked me the other day <laughs> when I told her about a podcast, so. Uh, fair. But um, anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm curious about what you picked up in terms of like the interesting mix of genres and how they didn't mind kind of incorporating... Um, some sort of surreal elements to mm-hmm. it. And I kind of want to see if there's any of that that you picked up that you latched on to. Um, one thing I latched on to, which I feel like was a similar comment to what I found in the fall, was the the noises, the soundtrack. Mm. There's were just some weird... It was very cartoonish at points. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously the... It gets super cartoonish and they're like i think this is walter wow, wow, yeah wow, yeah wow. yeah like the, the like zoom, zoom in, in zoom out. out yeah, yeah. And that then, was great i yeah. love that but even at the beginning at one point i think the first time we see the whole like queenie pooping on other people's lawns thing the soundtrack is this weird dog bark yeah thing it's like a like, synthesizer sampling a dog yes, bark yeah exactly and that i was like oh this is this is really interesting and there are one or two other moments like that where it was just like Whoa. Like, it, mm. it felt like a cartoon. Like, that sure. kind of sound effect to punctuate something. There was definitely cartoon logic at play. Like, mm-hmm. from very early... Like, the very first scene, actually, when Ray is noticing, like, the electrical uh, glow emanating from the Klopex basement. Right. And he's standing on the edge of, like, the property line. And then as soon as he goes and steps over on the Klopex lawn, the wind starts blowing and there's dirt and leaves in his hair and stuff like that. And then also, very shortly after that, when um, Ray and Art are going to go up to the front door and ring the doorbell, as soon as they take that first step toward the door, that, like, really grimy, like, spaghetti western guitar lick kicks in. Now everybody's watching us. Good going, man! Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll go in with you. Sure, right. Okay, no problem. Let's go. And it goes to like close-ups of all the neighbors watching them. I was like, what just happened in this movie? It's like it just completely changed genres for a yeah, moment. And it does that a couple of it times. Does. In that moment, I did think it was hilarious how they cut to the dog too. The dog there was like all shot, the reactions, yes. and I was like, oh, okay, this is a little long. And uh-huh. then they cut to the dog, and I was like, alright, that's yeah. a good joke. But yeah, they, it, there was a couple moments where it was just like, and the soundtrack is at 10, mm-hmm. and it's clearly for a genre that's different than what you thought you were watching yeah. in the last like two scenes. And, you know, but it goes back from those super cartoonish moments to very realistic, like, comically mundane moments, like the conversation where they're in the garage, and he's like, oh, check out these tools Carol's husband, uh, check out these tools that Carol's father gave me for Christmas, and blah, 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 (laughs) and uh, they're asking about, like, uh, like, hey, do you want to go get one of those uh, roast beef sandwiches? It's like, no, I don't know, I was thinking about going and getting one of those electric garage door openers or whatever. (laughs) Like, that conversation was so mundane, I I cracked up, I thought that was hysterical. Um, So it's like that, it's a bizarre mix of those cartoony elements and super, super... Uh, realistic, like almost painfully realistic moments. Yeah, that's. I watched the trailer before I watched the actual film, like right before, and I was just I I wasn't familiar with this movie at all, so I didn't know what to expect. And then watching the trailer was just like, what? Yeah. What is this? What what tone are they going mm-hmm. for? What is this going to be about? And mm-hmm. I'm not sure I answered either of those questions. The tone thing the is definitely kind of crazy because it. it Personally, I would settle on calling this a black comedy or a dark mm-hmm. comedy. Um, but there's this one moment in particular that I found interesting, and I want to get your thoughts on it. When Art and Ray and Ricky are hanging out at night mm-hmm. and Art smoking the cigar, or uh, uh, Ray smoking the cigar, and Art tells the story about Skip. Do you remember right. this? The ice cream man, yeah. What? Tell me, walk me through what you were thinking about that when that scene came on, because that's kind of a long monologue. Yeah, I mean, part of this, I think, was, I felt like the whole movie was a little bit of, like, going, the people who go crazy from that mundane, suburban life, which is obviously kind of the point, because Tom Hanks has this monologue at the end of, like, we are those people, we're the crazy ones, like, this is... We're the lunatics, us, it's not them! It's us. And he delivers it in that perfect, like, frustrated Tom Hanks oh, voice yeah. where it gets, like, high-pitched and gravelly at the same time. Yeah. Oh, I can't even do it, but it's... Where's the lunatics? Us! It's not them! It's us. 
It's amazing. Which that kind of, I'm glad you brought up that line at the end because um, during Art's story, like his whole thesis that he gives at the end, like the moral was, these towns are full of those kinds of stories. Sometimes they're happening right under your nose. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, sure. it, you know, which, you know, the, the commenting on that, the writer of the film again, uh, which I will pull up his name in a moment, Dana Olson, uh, the writer, he talks about how his inspiration was growing up in a boring suburb where there was like some infamous hatchet murder back in the thirties that everybody had heard about, but nobody really cared about anymore. But the, every couple of years there's some random story about, you know, some insane mass murder suicide that happened inside someone's home so he drew on this from you know kind of extrapolating from that idea mm -hmm. like we said earlier manson family meets oz and harriet yeah and i think i, I think every suburb kind of has those stories of like oh yeah that house is mm -hmm. where one person just totally went off the map and killed everyone or mm -hmm. what you, it's it's the kind of stuff that like people gossip about and there's always that folklore around yeah. whether or not you know even 50 percent of it is true sure. but so that's kind of how I took it. And then, of course, at the end, they scare Ray, and it's a whole, like, yeah. Ray's kind of the weenie of the group. It's, like, yeah. Art isn't going to take anything seriously enough to be scared. Corey Feldman's character is a kid. He's, He's a literally a teenager. Which we got to talk about Corey Feldman here. We're going to get to him in a <laughs> oh, minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, along with that, because that story would not be out of place in a horror movie, and neither would the scene where Ray oh. sees the night digging. Oh yeah, that was that legitimately was real scary. Creepy, yeah, like with the again, like you were talking about the music and uh, Jerry Goldsmith is the composer for this movie, and he was working overtime because he did like fifteen different musical genres. Yeah, basically, every restaurant, like every instrument. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, that night digging scene was actually pretty scary. I thought, like, they, yeah. that was that would not have been out of place at all in a horror film. No, that was legitimately creepy. There were a couple moments that were fairly creepy. That's what I was, oh, yeah. It didn't sell the horror genre enough to be, like, actually mm -mm. scary. But, like, the dream sequence also. The dream like, sequence, that, yeah. Except for, except for the, <laughs> the chanting that um, Art had just brought up the, like... Satan is good. <laughs> Satan is our pal. I want to kill everyone. Hey, look. Wait. Unconscious song. chanting. You're chanting. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. And then it's so funny. Oh, that was so funny. Because he says it to Tom Hanks' character, who's like trying to drown out whatever he's saying. He's doing the like, la 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 la, I can't hear you. And he's like, oh, now you're chanting. Like, that's what like a satanic cult would do. They're making you chant. Like, Satan is good. Satan is our pal. And then Tom Hanks has this whole dream sequence where they're like, the Klopaks are like trying to kill him uh -huh. and stuff. <laughs> All the people in robes are chanting, Satan is good, Satan is our path. <laughs> I thought that was really, really funny. That dream sequence was really funny. I thought it, it was. was I mean, it was creepy, but it was also like mm -hmm. hilarious. <laughs> um, and then the femur scene. Like, I thought that was really oh, well executed yeah. with the dog bringing up the, the leg bone uh -huh. and, and while Ray. <laughs> Again, with that frustrated Tom Hanks voice when, when Art comes up to Ray and he's like, I'm only trying to sleep. I'm only laying here with my eyes closed trying to get some goddamn sleep. When he said goddamn, I was like, Tom Hanks curse? Does he do that? <laughs> I get, I mean, that might have been his one in the movie, but... <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's The, the genre, it's, it's almost like genre whiplash in some places. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um... Because the I think it was a good example in the doorbell scene where like you get that that <laughs> guitar riff, but then they ring the doorbell and like his foot falls through the porch. Right, and the house number changes from six six nine to six six six. It like falls hilarious. over. And, yeah, and so you're like, oh okay, I get it. It's and like campy, it, scary. And then immediately follow up with like the bees shooting out <laughs> with like the super fast zoom to the hole the bees are coming out of. And again, we get a great Tom Hanks physical comedy scene where it's like Tom Hanks act like your shirt's full of bees. Oh, that's all I could think about. I was like, oh my god, shooting this scene where you're just like, and bees! Amazing. Like, run! And then Bruce Stern is like, run to me! Run to me! Run to me! Run to water! <laughs> oh my gosh, you're just spraying him up. It's so funny. It's really terrific. Um, but yeah, okay, so it seems like as good a time as any to talk about Corey Feldman's character, Ricky, sure, which is like, then. almost like, I, I don't know, He his function is almost like the Greek chorus in this movie, where he's kind of comment, I, I know I'm getting... I, your face tells me that I made a smart remark. Um, but, uh, I'll just quietly clap <laughs> here so the audience can hear it. Point for Kyle. And <laughs> anyway, 
Yeah, he, he when we first meet him at I'm assuming this is like 7:30 in the morning on a on a uh, summer afternoon or a summer day when he's he's painting the house and he like oh. sloshes the paint on his speaker and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and he's just yelling, he's obviously on a very familiar basis with all of these middle-aged dudes that live in the neighborhood. Like, the way he yells at Rumsfeld is hilarious, like... <laughs> the way he yells at Rumsfeld's wife is yeah, hilarious. Yeah, Mrs. Rumsfeld, ah, no tan lines today! Very nice, looks good. <laughs> that kid's a meathead. That kid's a meatball. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was, uh, the 80s moments in this were so good. The, Terrific. That kid is a meatball. Some of the, like, just the old-timey, like words you would call people and then Rumsfeld's wife wearing the fuzzy heeled slippers yeah the heeled uh, slippers I laughed out loud when perfect. I saw that this time because I was like if there is any more of a symbol of like obviously a trophy wife man yeah. that's ins- that, it's hilarious where do you even buy those I think Who, you just the, get gifted them like guess, you become a trophy wife oh, but um perfect. yeah Rumsfeld Rumsfeld was definitely like a perfect caricature of like the retired military guy especially like you know the Vietnam era, like retired military guy where it's like, he also kind of strikes me as the type of dude who claims to have been in the military, what we would now call stolen valor. But back then was just like some dude who (laughs) didn't go to Vietnam. He's went to the uh, army thrift store. Uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, when uh, Ricky's, uh, when Ricky's friends show up, like, first of all, when he's got the girlfriend over was really funny when he was just trying to like show when, when she was trying to like go to the movies or whatever. She's like, no, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to miss the best part. This is life. This is real life, man. That oh, I don't know. There's a lot of exposition in that scene. There that was, was a lot a of exposition. Little much, because he, he's showing his girlfriend around the neighborhood, mm-hmm. basically what's happening around them. They're watching it like a movie, and he's just describing what's happening. I was like, I could have done this whole scene without him. It's true. Like, and I will say this: I one of my biggest pet peeves in movies or TV shows or anything is when you got that character, like that that Ferris Bueller type character who is mm-hmm. like. This is going to happen right about now. I hate when that happens. I hate it so much. And he definitely was guilty of that in that scene. But then at the end of the movie, when he's got like the party over at his house, that cracked me up when they were all just like listening to music. It was like, oh, the best part. I called the pizza dude. You know, that that was, he was, (laughs) he should be hanging out with Bill and Ted. I would watch that movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was very like California surfer. Like, yeah. And all his friends. (laughs) What did... Bruce Dern, I think, was my favorite he's in the great. entire movie. He is great. But when he's sitting on the roof, and he's like, what? it was just so out of place. But then, well, like, hey, get this lame out of your yard. Yeah, get this lame out of my yard. Know, get this lame off my yard. He's like, yeah, lame get off his yard. And yeah. he's like openly laughing at him. Was he, I thought he was telling Corey Feldman, like, get this lame off your yard. And I <laughs> yeah. was like, what is he? Like, he's just playing into it now. He has given them a show. And then and he's sitting up there with, like, his night vision scope and his rifle, just, like, drinking milk and eating animal crackers. <laughs> Amazing. Like, Bruce Dern in this movie is terrific. I would watch, oh, a, I would watch a whole movie about him. Absolutely. Him and his wife were, like, because he has, he's the one with the trophy wife, this, like, super young, gorgeous woman. And you're just like, I... I could just watch a movie about them. Definitely. They're hilarious. Absolutely. Sitcom, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, We can get into this later, but I would probably watch a The Burbs sitcom adaptation. Oh, yeah. I feel like it might even be better, possibly. As like a show? As a show, because there was so much... I feel like uh, the, the specificity and the details of something like this... Or what makes it really, really great. And mm-hmm. that's when this was, like, the funniest. And I f- we lost some of that. Like, I didn't feel like we saw enough of the... Um, is it the Cloakville? The Clopex. The, the Clopex. Like, that was all kind of patched together. I feel like, like they were not a big part of this. They yeah. were kind of the inciting yeah, they, factor, we but didn't not... Really even, we didn't really see them in any major capacity until, like, halfway through. Like, I remember pausing the movie to see, I was like, we're more than halfway through this movie by the time Henry Gibson even shows up as the doctor, my brother the doctor. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, like, we never really get what they're up to. We know, like, I guess we're going to get into the spoiler section, which if we're halfway through. We might as well do that now. Let's let's do it. Yeah, I, we never get what they're actually up to. They're clearly murderers or something but they we don't know 
I, you're looking like you have the answer. All right, Slay so we don't. My headcanon, I thought of this the last time I watched it. Again, we bring up headcanon. I want to see that movie. I, I see br- Kyle's headcanon. I bring up headcanon a lot in this in this podcast already, but um, because they are very clearly German, my theory is that, like, Dr. Klopek mm. is, like, a Nazi war criminal or something oh, like that. okay. I, that does not explain why they needed to. I mean, it was very, in the movie, in the context of the movie itself, it was very obvious that, like, they just needed to, like, they just needed to actually be murderers for the payoff of the end. Like, right. that was it. There was no real explanation. Cult murderers? Who knows? Maybe. Maybe not. Um, but I, I, tr- in the context of the movie, there is no explanation. Right. They are they just are murderers. They are bad people, and that vindicates our heroes in the end. Exactly. Because it looks exactly. very much like they are just going to go straight to prison. But I do have a question for you. Yes. As the movie was unfolding, at any point, did you think Art was right? in his theory about the fact that the Klopeks were satanic cult murderers. Ooh. Like, as a... Or let me me broaden that question. At any point, before the reveal at the end that they have, like, six human skeletons in their car... Oh my god, like, 20. Their trunk was literally full of human skeletons. It was full of of human human skeletons, skeletons, yeah. At any point before that reveal, did you... Or I guess before the ambulance scene where Henry Gibson's gonna inject Tom Hanks with, like, the, the, the... Whatever it was... Did you actually think that they were murderers? Oh, okay, murderers, not specifically satanic cult. Yeah, right. Okay. Mm, I don't know because I feel like the movie kind of set it up to make you believe they make you understand why Tom Hanks would believe they were, but also that you, as the audience, would know they weren't. So I guess, no, I guess I thought that there was always going to be kind of like a reasonable explanation for this, Mm -hmm. which once the house blew up and they were like clearly going to be put in prison or something, Mm -hmm. Tom Hanks and crew, I was like, I don't know how they're going to, like, they just might straight go to prison and this is the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly. So I, no, honestly, I thought there was going to be some kind of bait and switch because maybe it's kind of you know, where we are now versus where, when this movie actually came out that like this, we've seen the trope enough of like, Oh, actually the neighbor is evil. And mm-hmm. like, blah, 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 that at this point, most movies have to make it some kind of twist on what you expect. Right. But no, this was, I, I didn't expect it because it was so expected. Interesting. So I don't remember a lot about the first time I watched this movie. I don't specifically remember where I was or what I was doing, but I do remember not ever being quite sure if the if Ray and Art and Rumsfeld were just being paranoid or if the Klopeks were actually murderers of some kind. I remember never being sure until it was finally confirmed with the thing in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. So Maybe that was just because I was a teenager when I watched it. It wasn't as sophisticated of a movie viewer. I'm not sure. So that's kind of what I was getting at with your reaction. Is if you ever had an inkling or if you ever were sure it was one way or the other. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I wasn't because it seems so... They are so suspicious from the very beginning. Even, like, the way they style the kid who's the first of the family that you see. Mm-hmm. He, like, just looks like... Just shady. The, you, I like the way you describe him as the kid when he's got a full beard. <laughs> he's the youngest one. The <laughs> other two are like clearly in their 60s, in their 60s yeah. or 70s. He's, you know. Hans. Hans. is maybe in his like, I would guess he was like 19. Yeah, early 20s probably. Yeah, old enough to have but a beard. But it's a rough but, like, early 20s. <laughs> yeah. So, and he just, he looks like shady and like, you know, looks like a horror movie character. Definitely. And it just is completely that way. Like, that is exactly (laughs) what he is, and they are murderers, and there's nothing that really leads you to believe that they aren't, except for that it is so heavily leaning towards that they are, if that makes sense. Like, it's just so biased against them that it almost has to be some kind of misdirection, Mm -hmm. and then it's totally not. Yeah, exactly. And it... uh... It does play with that um, whole concept of, like, making it, playing into the paranoia of the other characters to make the audience think that they are just being paranoid. Because mm-hmm. it's so obvious. They couldn't possibly actually be killed. Oh, yep, they are. They're they're definitely, like, mass murderers. Yep. Um, but, um, yeah, I definitely wanted to talk a little bit about 
as a whole, I mean, this is a very unusual movie in its look and feel. I mean, we've kind of established that already. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've never really seen another movie quite like it, uh, balancing that kind of cartoonish aspect with, like, legitimately horrific aspects and very funny, like, real-life physical comedy. Um, the director of this movie is Joe Dante, which may or may not yeah, ring, ring a bell for you. He directed movies like uh, The Howling, which is a horror movie, and uh, Gremlins. Oh. Yeah. That's a classic. Um, but uh, he's done a, a pretty decent variety of different movies and stuff like that. Um, he's uh, he's an interesting cat. If you ever want to look him up, he's uh, he's an interesting dude. He's done some kind of wild stuff, definitely like B movie kind of things. And he's but he's very into he's very into the B movie culture, and I feel like he drew on a lot of that with these kind of pulpy horror elements to the Burbs. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's an intriguing character. He's definitely an intriguing character that sure. uh, brought a pretty wide range of experience to it. Um, and with the like, the, the, you, you talked about earlier the dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd kind of like to get back to that a little bit because there's uh, the dream sequence is one of the more dream sequency dream sequences <laughs> that I've ever seen. I, I know that's like kind of an odd thing to say about it, but it's like. It's so much directly drawn from what he was watching on TV right before he went to sleep. Oh, right. With like, Which, we can talk about that, too. Please. It flips between, like, three or four all-complete horror movies. Yeah, like, hard like, R-rated horror movies, and he's watching, like, on network television. Yeah, and this is the 80s, so there are probably, like, five channels available, and they are right. all short, showing, like, straight Satan-based horror. Yeah, Texas watches, Chainsaw Massacre. Right, The Exorcist. The Exorcist. Yeah, so that was interesting. But. Which, during that scene, I, I, I did enjoy the part where he's... Uh, walking on the stairwell and the chainsaw comes through the wall and cuts through the the photo oh, of yeah. his family. I was like, that's dark, but kind of funny. And it just separates him and Carol, his wife. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. what does that mean? Divorce, probably, but apparently not, because they reunite at the end. I was so. going to say, that's like the sub-subconscious of his dream being like, yo, man, you're alienating your wife. You need to get your shit together. Maybe. Maybe that was his awakening. And the best part, the, the little detail that I loved the most about that was the fact that, like, Carrie Fisher's half stayed on the wall, and Tom Hanks just literally falls off of the wall. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you brought us back to the dream sequence. Please. Another one of my favorite jokes. I, I guess my favorite jokes from this film I'm <laughs> learning were cutaways to the dog. Definitely. Just always the cutaways to the dog. Because there's, um, after they believe that their neighbor has been killed, you see him in this dream sequence with, like, an axe in his head. Yes. And it's it's cartoonish it's not realistic it's like a medieval hand axe that's yeah. protruding out of his brain and it's brain. clearly just kind of like on his head with some like fake blood but the dog is clearly wearing one of those headbands that has this <laughs> axe and they both have like axes in their heads and the oh my god it's just like wrapped around the dog's head Definitely, and it is yeah. so cute so funny it's pretty great and they throw ray on top of like a literal like, giant barbecue pit oh yeah funny. um uh, what's his face? Art is like disguised as the as, ice cream as, man, as which Skip, I never yeah. would have recognized him if no. he didn't say it was me. I was like, I, that was pretty creepy too. Like holding like the bloody uh, milkshake machine or oh, whatever. Oh yeah. God, yeah. It was a, uh, it was an interesting thing. And, but it does again kind of play into like the cartoonish nature, which we keep coming back to. It's it was almost like one of those old Mickey Mouse cartoons where it's like things get completely surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like that cartoonish nature, I feel like is another hallmark of like. Uh, Joe Dante, the director, bringing in a lot of unusual elements to kind of throw people... I don't want to say throw people off, more like throw people around while they're watching this movie. It's like riding uh, like a funhouse ride or something like that. Because on top of the genre whiplash that we kind of discussed, there's also things like you don't see an ambulance careening over lawns and crashing into a front door all the time. Like, little things like that that while you're watching you probably don't really think about, but honestly, it's like, I don't, you don't really see stuff like that in movies very often. You don't see people getting attacked by a swarm of bees at a, like, on a dilapidated house that often. Like, it just doesn't happen. It's like, there's so many little things that just com- come together to make this such an unusual and special, beautiful package, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I And there's so many things... For better or for worse, but so many things that kind of don't lead you anywhere. <laughs> no. But are just interesting in those moments. Like the bees thing. Yeah. That's, that's in service of nothing. For sure. But like even they, there's a scene where they all go as neighbors, except for Art for some reason. They exclude Art specifically. 
go over to the um the house, mm-hmm. the like haunted house, and try to be neighborly yeah. and like do it kind of the wives' way because the husbands have been snooping around and trying to figure what out what's up and breaking into people's houses, and the wives are like. We're just going to take them brownies and yes. we're going to talk to them like humans. And so they, the four of them, the uh, Bruce Stern and his wife and then Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher, go over to have this neighborly chat. And, like, that whole scene, like, Amazing. What? Amazing. Where are we going with it? It's, just... it's, the awkward silence goes on for so long. And then Tom Hanks gets into that weird sneezing fit thing. Oh, that was hilarious. But the... Uh, the, the sardines. Oh, the sounds. The sardines. The sounds. Oh, yes. There's this extended scene of just him eating a sardine you on just, a pretzel, and just yeah. lasts forever. And you, you just hear, hear the clock. You hear the slouch. clock and that real squishy, crunchy like, combination. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. It was. It was great. Um. And yeah. It, the the sound design, as you said, like it comes in 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 the pinch for oh, sure yeah. in a few scenes. Like there was that one, which let's. There, we'll come back to that in a second, but then also where they see Hans smashing the bag into the garbage can. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, don't know how loud, I don't know how loud you had the volume turned up, but that was a real squishy garbage bag. Oh, it was squishy. I heard that. Every was, every oh hit God. was real wet. Um, but yeah, it, it, during the um, the neighborly visit scene, like during the awkward silence, I like how um, Bruce Stern is... St- Standing off in the corner, just like picking at the wallpaper, he and he peels, peels off that huge thing of wallpaper, and then like turns around, like "oh shit!" And it's not like, even fast. <laughs> it's not like I'm like, "oh shit!" Slow. I just pulled that off. He peels it off methodically, and then is like, "oh shit!" I just peeled the wallpaper. Like you've been doing that for five minutes. Don't pretend like you just noticed. And again, it's like that little like grown men acting like little kids thing that is throughout the whole movie. It's like that's very much like a little kid thing to do. Just be like, "I'm just gonna pull this thing," and then as soon as it's all the way off, that's when you're like. Uh-oh. Whoops. Now what do I do? <laughs> um, and the little kids thing, it leads to a scene with this giant dog yes. being let out of the basement, which is just like the Sandlot. Exactly the same Just as the like the Sandlot. Yep. And I, yeah, no, it is little, <laughs> it is adults put into this little kid's movie. And I never put that together until this time. It was, I, I feel like I've always recognized it. I just didn't know how to quite say it, but without a doubt that's what's going on and i am positive that was intentional it had to be it had to have been i don't know timing wise and apparently you've seen the sandlot which is a disappointment oh, because well. i totally would have put that on the list <laughs> what but, person our age could exist this long without having seen uh, the sandlot if you didn't have abc family growing up then maybe but maybe forever <laughs> a classic um yeah no that and then like in service to nothing. They just mm-hmm. have a giant dog. It doesn't explain anything. And the dog never comes less... back except in the back seat of their car right. when they're going <laughs> home again. You see them in the car and now they have this giant dog yeah. instead of before when they were in the car and it was just them. But like, yeah, whatever. A lot of misdirection. When they went down to the basement, did that furnace look familiar to you? Oh boy. Why? Should it have? I cannot find anything to verify this for sure, but I am positive that that is the same furnace from Home Alone, where oh, Kevin goes down to the basement and he's freaked the out by their furnace. furnace. Was that not one of the like kind of pot-bellied ones? No, it was like a really big and bulky thing with like oh. conduits coming out of it at weird angles. It looks uh-huh. like almost a Tim Burton prop. Oh, um, that's true. But anyway, if you didn't pick up on that, we can just oh, we can just man. slide on by that one. No, uh, I did, I'm going to pay attention right. now, though. Okay, next time you watch it. I, yeah, I, clearly I'm not even picturing it right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I looked it up. I couldn't find anything about it, if it's the same prop or what. But hmm. anyhow, um, let's talk about art for a little while. Uh, he is an interesting character in that he seems like a type of person I would find very annoying in real life, but I find somewhat transfixing in this movie. Mm, I don't okay. know why. It's like I can't take my eyes off this dude. Partly because the performance is pretty good. Like it's pretty good. He's great at playing an obnoxious dude. So And an obnoxious Midwestern suburban. Mm-hmm. He is very specific in very. his obnoxious character. Like <laughs> and it's so I don't know why so many suburban movies are set in we don't know specifically where this is set, but yeah. it seems like the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be my guess. Um, IMDb says that based on the map from the, the globe at the beginning, mm-hmm. it's probably someplace outside of like Des Moines, Iowa, which oh, whatever. interesting. I mean, Because I was thinking Art's accent sounded kind of Wisconsin-ish. Definitely. But, but yeah, he's so Midwestern mm-hmm. and 
I I mean, never having lived in the Midwest, sure. it's still a trope that I totally get. And he was he felt very specific in a character yeah. that we like we said have seen a bunch of times before. But yeah, so what what do you find so transfixing about him? Well, I mean, <laughs> this one hundred percent plays into like the cartoony thing that we keep bringing up. But um, you know, Ray doesn't have a costume. Okay, some really fly shirts. He has some a terrific out. I mean. Keeping it simple, man. Those white sneakers, those shorty shorts, and those rolled-up sleeve Oxfords that are unbuttoned to the navel. Again, mm-hmm. I relate. I dress like that <laughs> all the time. Um, and but, he says as he's wearing a red checkered. Well, mile. it's October. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, like Rumsfeld always wears his like his camouflage everything, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. But then like Ray, or I'm sorry, Art. It's like the first scene that he's in. The first thing that I noticed was like the uh, with the BB gun and the oh, um, right. we're shooting at the the crow. Uh huh. And he's wearing like these check. He's he's wearing like a polo shirt and like plaid madras shorts, but then like checkerboard van slip ons, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Yeah. And because it like doesn't fit with his personality or his, or his the rest of his outfit at all, I just thought it was an interesting choice. But then like he's got this weird um like. When he goes to, like, mess with the power line to shut off the electricity oh to the Clopex security system, he's dressed in a full, like, lineman's uniform from with, like, a, you know, hard hat, name on his shirt and everything. I thought he was a lineman. Like, was he a lineman? But Who then knows? he does it so ineptly. Yeah, like, he's he terrible at it. Electric electrocutes himself to the point of, like, damage. Because what does he say? His, like, fillings are My hot. My fillings are hot. My and fingernails, fingernails are, black. are black. Oh, that, that was, was pretty horrific. funny. Got a, little, got a little jolt, but I'm okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's like, the rest of the scene, just like, ah, yeah. touching, his, touching fillings. his fillings. Yeah. Oh my god. That was, that was terrific. But, but I, then his, go- his golf so outfit... Okay. We have to talk and about the And he's like overselling the shit out of that golf outfit. Because <laughs> of course, Carrie Fisher and their son, Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher's son in the movie, go off to the lake cabin finally, which she's been bothering him forever to go to. And Tom Hanks lets them go because of course he and Art and... Rumsfield. Rumsfield are all going to go case the joint and figure out what the neighbors <laughs> are up to. And so he tells her that they're going golfing and Art comes over in this full like plaid pants one of those hats he's got a golf club because that's how much golf they're gonna be doing i almost couldn't hear the dialogue over how loud the outfit was like but oh yeah he's like and he's over like i said he's overselling the shit out of it to carrie fisher like it's like oh hey carol we're just uh just uh got my golf club because uh i don't want to get blisters on my hands that's how much golf we're gonna be playing today <laughs> it was almost like a rick and morty character like it was, oh it was so, it, so funny. I, I guarantee that was one of those improv scenes and he is so good at those improv scenes it was hysterical just, oh man where did that outfit come from he's been <laughs> waiting just to have this like misdirection it's not even that he i golfs. guarantee like some costume designer i'm sure that joe dante was like all right we need the most ridiculous over-the-top golf outfit fit we can find and that costume design was like all right oh boy here we go i i you talking about headcanon i hope if that scene was completely improvised that he walked on set and tom hanks had no idea that's how he was gonna be dressed <laughs> that would be hilarious to me amazing um but yeah uh i i don't know i, I we're getting pretty close to the end here so i'm kind of curious as to if you got any thoughts to kind of wrap us up, if there's anything else that you were that, that stood out to you that we haven't covered, um, mm-hmm. anything that you know, you you didn't know what you were getting into when you watched this movie, you'd never heard of it before. So I'm kind of curious as to like how you would describe this to somebody else. Oh, that is a good question. Oh, I don't. I mean, one of the things I noticed, which we've talked about several times, is just. The references I would make from this movie are very strange and don't do a good job of <laughs> describing it, but are the best I have. Like, things that just popped in my head, which I think I've mentioned in every every segment, have been like, Mary Poppins, The Sandlot, uh, what is the one, Disturbia, with oh, uh, Shia LaBeouf. We, I actually meant to bring this up because not Disturbia, but the other movie that, the movie that Disturbia and the Burbs both drew from mm-hmm. slash ripped off, Hitchcock's Rear Window. Right. And this, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention this because this is such a suburban version of Rear Window. I have not seen her. Oh, well, my dear friend, <laughs> we are going to have to fe- uh, remedy that at some point in this podcast. Uh, yeah, but, I would uh, love to get some Hedgehog in here. Um, I mean, there was the birds 
segment. With the there was a lot of like there's there's definitely some like Hitchcockian elements yes. that they drew from. Which what director hasn't watched every I, Hitchcock movie? And I realized movie. the thing I'm actually thinking of is The Conjuring, which we thought watched separately from this. <laughs> so that's the scene I have in my head. But no, there's definitely some Hitchcock in here. Um, yeah, how would I describe this to people, though? I mean, it's Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher, which already puts, like, the strangest off-tone mm-hmm. image in my head. I don't know if that's true for everyone, <laughs> but just, yeah, suburban, not quite horror. I That's one thing. I wish that the horror had gotten scarier. It got close. Mm. There were moments where it was, like, creepy, I think if it would have gotten just a little bit scarier, it would have been more successful for me. So, when we we haven't really done this segment a lot, but since we're talking about another 80s comedy, I feel no reason not to bring this up from uh, our Clue episode. Uh, if you were going to remake this movie, Ooh. let's talk about casting. Okay, alright. Let's start with Ray as like a jumping off point, because there's I cannot think of a single actor right now who I would even compare to this particular era in Tom Hanks's career. Because he was so good at the comedy that mm-hmm. this role called for. Yeah. And I don't know who'd be up for that at this point, you know? Yeah. Which, oh, yeah. Sorry, ahead. by the way, I just I, I forgot to mention this earlier. That kid that played Tom Hanks' Carrie Fisher's kid looked exactly like he would be Tom Hanks' kid. Oh, absolutely. That was like, that was the perfect casting. And I don't know if that kid could act at all or if he got just the part because he looked like he could be Tom Hanks' kid. I mean, he did a good job in the role he had. He had two lines. I don't know if they were just like, you know what, this kid is perfect. Just Mm -hmm. let him sit on camera and say like, this is ridiculous. Yeah, about it's been about 30 years. He'd probably be almost Tom Hanks' age, but from that, we'll see. We'll see how he is. We'll see how he is. Yeah. Um... Shoot, what was the question? Who would you cast in the remake of this movie? Um, Yeah, because if I think... Yeah, Tom Hanks is such a specific niche in... Just in terms of actors. Definitely. If I think older, I think Dick Van Dyke. I think they're kind of in the same (laughs) Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, actually, yeah. very physical, Mm -hmm. very childlike, but not in a... Not in like a juvenile sure, kind sure. of way, if that makes sense. And just, you know, sweet to watch. Like you just feel a natural affinity to them. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who that would be in our time. So let's try to let's try to expand off that, because Tom Hanks is pretty tough to, to recast. Sure. Rumsfield. I've got something in mind. I'm curious if there's anybody Ooh. that comes to mind for you. Rumsfield. So a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Can play like the ex-military hard ass, but mm. with a comedic edge to it. Right. A, a childish comedic yeah. edge. Ooh. I'm going to have to think on that. Who are you thinking of? Nick Offerman. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think he'd be great oh, as man. a rope that's, that's not the vein I was going down, but actually that's perfect. I think he'd oh, be my great, God. Yeah. yeah. I would love to see Nick Offerman get to be a little bit more silly. Mm-hmm. He, like... So much of what we see him in, I feel like, is that very straight-laced, just libertarian, uh-huh. you know, the Ron Swanson. Oh, yeah. Who got a couple, those couple of, like, really silly scenes, like, where they're drunk. If yes, they're, yes, yeah, definitely. If, on snake juice or whatever. That is just a shining moment oh, for that yeah. series. So, I yeah, if we could have him do that in a whole movie, absolutely. He, he, he's great at acting serious but doing silly things. Like, that's yeah. that's really good. And I just thought of somebody who I think would personally be a, this would be wish fulfillment for me because uh-huh. this is a person who is amazing at comic delivery and physical comedy, mm-hmm. but has, Tom Hanks. has chosen, yes, for the, for the Ray role, Tom mm-hmm. Hanks role. This is an actor who is immensely popular. He's got an, a tremendous amount of charisma and charm. He's amazing at physical comedy and d- delivery, but he has chosen to go in a different direction with his career. Different direction, and he's and he's worked with, he's he's worked with, uh, he's worked with Nick Offerman before. Was it Chris Pratt? I'm Pratt? thinking of Chris Pratt. Oh, I'm thinking Chris Pratt could be a great. He's he's his acting style, I think, is the closest to early Tom Hanks. Oh, interesting. And he's about that age. He's like in his mid thirties. Right, Tom Hanks. Oh, okay. I could totally see it. I think Chris Pratt is capable of almost anything. I don't see him as quite as... Tom Hanks is so everyman. 
Yeah. Chris Pratt has either been kind of that schlub in Parks and Rec, which or a is... a fucking Navy SEAL. Or, yeah, like, he has no in-between. He's no. either, like, 180 pounds of pure muscle or 180 pounds plus of... of pure you know, ice just, cream, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I, I just, in terms of performance style, I think that he's the closest analog. But I'm willing to open up to other suggestions mm-hmm. to that. Um, no, I mean, I would love to see it. And honestly, he popped in my head, too, but... Yeah, no, I could see it. How about art? Anybody coming to mind for art? Ooh. I'm trying to think in that age range. Like, how old do you think they were in that movie? You know, I'm going to... I'm thinking that Tom Hanks is probably like 35-ish. Okay. And mm-hmm. art, maybe 40. Rumsfeld, probably 50. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay, so let's run into these other characters. Like, uh, Carol Peterson, Ray's wife. Mm-hmm. Um... Bonnie Rums or uh, Bonnie Rumsfeld. I keep wanting to call her Bunny because let's be honest, that's like the name that fits. <laughs> what she is, yeah. Um, the Clopex and mm-hmm. Ricky. Those are like the main characters in this story. And right. any one of those, I, I'm curious. It's like, okay, I'll be honest. For art, we talk. He's been cast in our in our Clue remake. I'm oh. thinking Jason Manzukis as art could be amazing. Oh wow, we're just <laughs> Jason Manzukis. Jason, we could be your agent. Jason, if you're <laughs> listening right now. You need to give we us have a call. so many roles for you. We got a lot of ideas. <laughs> I do. I would love to see him in so much more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be an interesting. That would be an interesting take because art in this one is just such a like. Just, I don't even know. He's kind of just that like, white bread kind of just goofball. <laughs> Jason Manzukis would be that, like, aged-out party boy that you're like... That's true. Who Like, alright, calm down. You live in the suburbs now, but mm-hmm. never really fully adjusted. But it could still be magical. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good Ricky. Like, because that, that's... The whole movie definitely does not hinge on that. I don't want to go that far, but mm-hmm. I feel like he is an important component to this, this interesting uh, recipe we're concocting oh, here. for sure. And he was probably like, like sixteen or supposed to be sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you know who might actually be a good Rumsfeld is Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Breaking Bad. Uh, the oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Oh Rumsfeld. Sorry, Rumsfield, I was still yeah. on Ricky, and I was like, no what? no 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 My no. What no. kid is named Brian Cranston? Oh that could yeah. Be really good. Oh, I would love to see them. Mm-hmm. I'm down for that. The person who keeps coming to mind for some reason, maybe just because, like, I think they look similar, is, um, shoot, he was just in a good place. Oh, God. I Ted Danson? Oh, Ted Danson? Yeah. Oh, they just look similar. But I think Brian uh, Cranston is Durham? my favorite. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe it's just the white hair. But, like, that kind of white hair, taller, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. strapping. But, yeah. I don't know. I would like to see <laughs> Brian Cranston in that role. Um, oh, jeez. For the kid. Who's a real good kid actor right Who's now? Who's a good, like, youngster right now? I mean, I, this might be just because I've watched Baby Driver, like, three times, but Ansel Elgort could be a really good Ricky. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He'd be an interesting, like, different kind of Ricky, for sure. Like, he'd bring a different different kind of thing to the character, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I could see it. I'm going to have to, like, look up <laughs> some names here, because this is not my strong suit. Um, yeah, I, 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 did you ever see the, the movie Neighbors with Seth Rogen and uh, yes, Zac yeah. Efron? Mm-hmm. I really like that movie, yeah. and I think that would make a really great double feature with, with the Burbs. Because oh, they're both absolutely. kind of about, like, people's, you know, families slash growing up men kind of adjusting to life in the suburbs. And I think it's like kind of an interesting way to look at them 25, 30 years apart from each other. Anyway, yeah. I... I I think it would make an interesting double bill. So if you like Neighbors, you might like The Burbs. It's true. Yeah, I totally see that. And I think they're totally of the same DNA. Would Seth Rogen make a good Tom Hanks in The Burbs? Ooh. No, I don't know. He might. He might. But you know who might make a good art that I'm now thinking about is Jonah Hill. (gasps) Ooh, Yes. Now I'm thinking Paul Rudd might be today's. Oh yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Man, I can't believe I didn't think of Paul Rudd. I know he's just he's like a sweet dad. Totally could do the physical comedy. I would. I can definitely picture him doing that. I'm just trying to get some goddamn sleep (laughs) scene with art. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's got a good frustrated yell. That's very important in any Tom Hanks role. (laughs) That's the audition right there. That's the whole thing. Oh yeah. Okay, so we got. Okay, we got Paul Rudd. We got Paul Rudd. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston is Rumsfeld. Oh, it's the kid. Ansel Elgort. I think Ansel Elgort could do that. For yeah. Sure. Is he like? Oh, I'm trying to think. 
What have we seen him in that he's been a little bit more gregarious? Because Baby Driver, so Ooh, much of that nothing. is just the only thing. Like... Yeah, the only thing he's been in is that and the Fault in Our Stars. I think. You know what mm. I'm thinking about? Hmm. I think we're looking at this whole remake thing all wrong. We we talked about this early on in the podcast. We're not injecting any color into this neighborhood. It's true. Now, granted, if it's the suburbs of Des Moines, Iowa, that makes logical sense. But, like, you know, we put this in the suburbs of, like, I don't know, New Orleans or something like that, or Atlanta, or whatever. Like, you're not going to have a cul-de-sac full of just white people. Like, let's be real here, right? Sure. So, I I mean, I always got room for... uh, Jordan Key and Keegan Peel. So, oh my gosh, there, there's always room for them somewhere in this cast, without oh, a doubt. Every cast, just put them in more movies. I would kind of love to see uh, Tom Hanks and the guy that played Art show up as the garbage men on this street. Oh my gosh! Oh, we need to talk about that. I think that was my favorite. If if there was any scene in this movie that I was like, I have never seen this before. <laughs> It was the garbage scene. That was, was... Yes! Oh my gosh. I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet. I love I loved that. I can't even... Let, let me think. Let me think. <laughs> Why did I love that so much? Just... <laughs> so, the two garbage men... There's the one who's just like... Two a days from man. retirement. Yes. He's a garbage man. He's a garbage man for life. And the other one who is just like... A civil servant he a had the scholar. rainbow patch He's on his uniform patch. and at the end when they come in so this immediately follows that squelchy garbage scene and <laughs> yeah. the three guys uh the three neighbors are trying to come out because the garbage men are coming and taking away garbies garbies <laughs> garbage men they're taking away the garbage which could potentially have a dead body in it so they all run out and they're trying to and he's art is literally dumping garbage in the street <laughs> and the other two guys run out and start helping him and the one garbage man is just like i am too old for this shit like put the garbage back yeah. and the other one's like well you know, as soon as garbage hits the street, it's public domain. The so, Supreme Court just, has ruled, blah, oh blah, blah. Yeah. That was so, that well, was you clever. You didn't even touch on the idea that when they first show up and they're just collecting trash before Art notices them collecting the garbage. The one guy is trying to convince the older guy to go to, like, a faith healer. And he's giving him this really long oh, spiel yeah. that I assume he's been talking about all morning. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. And that that whole, that scene is a perfect example of what I was talking about at the very beginning about this movie being kind of like, sub, maybe not as much subversive, but like transgressive. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you're right, you never see people just like throwing garbage all over the street. You never see, like like I said earlier, like an ambulance doing donuts on the front lawns and things like that. Like these are the kind of things that they show up in movies that are like cartoonish comedies but at the same time, they stand out because, like, I've never seen that before. That's interesting. Right. And you never seen, a, like, the interaction with the garbage men. It was right. just, like, so unique and funny. <laughs> and even, yeah, they, the guy, the older one is like, well, why aren't you helping me? Like, use your hands or whatever. And then they start dumping the garbage in yeah. the street. And the other guy just, like, starts helping them. And he's like, you said help. And <laughs> that scene is, that, like, moment is like, okay, we've seen that before where it's like, what you said. And then, like, but, a, then, oh, like an hour so later funny. in the movie, it goes back to the street and there's still a giant pile of the trash. The rest of the movie. I think we see that part pile of trash, like, three more times. It's great. Like, so when Walter funny. gets driven back to his home yeah. and, like, they just drive over the pile just, of garbage. I laughed, yeah. I laughed when oh, I saw that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, ca- the garbage cameos are pretty good. It's, it's good stuff. Um... But yeah, I mean, that pretty much brings us to the end. I mean, I, 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 I think I know what you're going to say, but would you recommend this movie? Ooh, boy, you're thinking about this a lot harder than I thought you were going to. Yeah, it's so out there. <laughs> and yeah, I mean... You don't the, have to say yes. For the love of Tom Hanks, and just, I need to watch this one again, I think. To, like, process it? To process it, <laughs> and to just see what it is, because it is, it is unlike anything else, and yet like all these completely unrelated things. So, yeah, you know what? It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's totally out there. If you're looking for something campy in 80s and Tom Hanks related, if you wish you had more Tom Hanks in your life, absolutely. Absolutely watch this one. Here's what I would say. The next time Tom Hanks comes out with a plain vanilla mayonnaise-flavored movie, don't watch it. Watch The Burbs instead. Fair. And remember why people love Tom Hanks. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, that's the final word on it, and uh, I guess that brings us to the point where we find out what I have to watch for next week, and Ooh. I'm nervous and excited. What we both have to watch. I kind of can't make, I can't believe I'm making myself watch this again. Uh-oh. But um, we're going to watch probably the scariest movie that I've seen. Oh, no. And I don't watch a lot of scary movies, so, you know, take that as you will. But, uh, okay, have you seen The Grudge? Oh, my God, stop, 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 stop. No, stop. I actually have not seen The Grudge. Oh, that's just, like, the noise that she makes. And my friend, I have a friend who is super double-jointed, like, unbelievably double-jointed, and she used to crawl around my house and make <laughs> that noise and you'll get why that's terrifying after we watch this movie. All right. Well, I wish I could say I'm excited. I'm nervous because I also do not necessarily care for horror movies. But um, you know what? I'm going in with an open mind. This is something that I have uh, avoided seeing for many, many years. And uh, I guess now is the time. So uh, until next week, definitely, uh, if you want to follow along with us, by all means, watch The Grudge um, so that we can all be scared. Yep. And... Um, we until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Kari. And we'll see you next week. See ya.